Welcome to the Space Cave, number one podcast for people who are Dutch. Here is part two with Marine Belisi. In our uh, uh, break between chats, you notice this Great Basin uh, Icky IPA, which is based on the ichthyosaur. And you said, whoa, that's, you just saw yeah. the fossil and said, that's an ichthyosaur. Well, I also, there's text that says it's an ichthyosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure. <laughs> ah, bless your heart for that display of valor because you really could have, or honestly, you could have just said, no, no, it was turned from me. It is pretty far away from you. So I, I was not get, assuming that you had read it, but yeah, but um, that's yeah. our that's kind uh, of a cool Nevada thing that they yeah. brought out all these people and then yeah. uh, the, and do you work with teams or groups like that we're like hey guys we're all heading to utah and we're gonna do this mm-hmm. with the this guy's these this team running point mm-hmm. or if that makes sense like it's their yeah. dig yeah 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 like cops in a different jurisdiction or something mm-hmm. oh definitely so for my own work so far i haven't had to do digs but you know that's part of why i wanted to become a paleontologist to yeah. do digs um so for my work, I've mostly been working in museums. Um, okay. Museum collections have, you know, just they have so much uh, work that needs to be done. Like there are new species hiding in museum collections. You know, yeah. Some so sometimes I uh, tag along with uh, colleagues on their digs, and so um, twice now, for example, I've tagged along to Mexico um, in the Sonora Desert to. Uh, so go dig up some fossil mammals there, um, also from the Pleistocene. So that's um, between two. The Pleistocene is between two million and um, and uh, eleven thousand years ago. It's that wide of a range. That's because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when they talk about the dinosaurs being gone for sixty-five million years, yeah. But then you hear that like the difference between. I'm going to mess this up, but I think T-Rex to Stegosaurus Mm -hmm. was longer, Mm -hmm. their respective lifespans, than the dinosaurs have been gone. Right. It puts that in perspective. Like you guys are, you're 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 sifting through all that. And how how do you Mm -hmm. have reasonable certainty when you find it to know like, okay, guys, we're in an, I guess what you'd say like a layer of strata Mm -hmm. that is, it just feels like Pleistocene. Like, how do you know what what era you're in just from the dig? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that dig that I just mentioned in Mexico, that is, um, so the two people at the head of it, like uh, the p- two people leading it, one is a geologist and one is a biologist. And so the geologist, you know, he has a pretty good idea mm-hmm. of the area. They, the two of them, um, so it's Chris Shaw and Fred Croxon, and they've been prospecting in that area since the seventies. And his name's Fred Croxon? Yep. Damn it, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of them are cool. My name's Fred Croxon, <laughs> and I hunt dinosaur bones. Right? Or fossil mammal bones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think there have been dinosaur bones found from this locality. It's um, it's a great locality. It's on the coast of, um, of the Gulf of California. 
And so it's, uh, yeah, it's on the east coast, or sorry, east beach of it. And so... Let me take some... I mean, I have uh, now... I, I don't like when this happens, right? Too many questions just burst in the door <laughs> and they all kind of get stuck in the doorway. Because I'm thinking of like yeah, yeah. The, the era you mentioned... Mm-hmm. Dinosaurs largely there to begin with, and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing mammals showing up, yeah. and I'm curious, like what what period right. do they start kind of crawling out mm-hmm. and taking shape? Mm-hmm. And then you're getting, I would assume, because of the sea changing and whatnot, you mm-hmm. have marine fossils there. Yeah. So you have kind of everything laid out in this area. Yes. Yeah, yeah, marine fossils there, and also, um, you know, that's the case too here in Los Angeles. Yeah, so um so it's now, just everything like this I, was just life. Yeah, just life. Just life and layers upon layers of life. Mm-hmm. And um uh yeah, so uh speaking of Los Angeles, you know, in about uh fifteen to twenty nine million years ago or so, like so okay, this area had some fossil dogs. Um so this is going going into my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we haven't really specifically <laughs> touched on that. So we're getting into fossil dogs. Yeah, getting this into fossil dogs. Territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, North America uh, back then was a land of dogs. So just, you know, close your eyes and imagine, like, <laughs> a land of dogs. <laughs> but they didn't um, but they didn't have Labrador ears. I'm yeah. assuming, I guess you guys can't really tell all that great. You know, great. we can't really tell because ears are soft or, you know, like the floppy. Yeah. The, yeah, there are soft parts, the outer ears. Um, but likely a lot of wolf-like ears up for specific yeah. hearing and directional. Yeah. If I'm guessing. Yeah. And do you guys I, have discussions mm-hmm. about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, I think that, um, that paleo artists, you know, whom we talk to have definite discussions about that but you know like it's everyone's best guess <laughs> it'd be kind of fun though you unearth something with really sharp pointed nose obviously pronounced canine teeth mm-hmm. deep set eyes broad and then they give them real long hound dog ears yeah right <laughs> <Kind> <laughs> that of would fun. be so funny looking <laughs> and unexpected yeah but plausible yeah. i suppose right yeah i think plausible yeah so anyway, in North America and Los Angeles, um, about 15 to 29 million years ago, land of dogs and, you know, a land of other, many other things too. Like um, we had camels here and we had, um, or the, all of the, you know, um, the camels and stuff um, that comes a bit later. But anyway, I'm just thinking in terms of um, like... You're thinking about 15 million years ago right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think about 15 million years ago. Um, so all that stuff died, right? Mm-hmm. And Do we know how or why? Was it a mass extinction? Oh, no, it was no. Yeah, it was not a mass extinction. It's just a normal background extinction. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the stuff from then, um, yeah, the stuff from then would die and then come back later. What? <laughs> really? In terms, yeah, they would come back later as fossils and fossil fuels. Oh, yeah, so, like, that'd sorry. be like us seeing a bunch of like Australopithecuses running around. Like, right, that back. would be, I know, that would be a dream for some people and a nightmare for others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm. what I'm thinking of specifically is... Um, a paleontologist at the Liberia Tar Pits um, recently, like a couple of weeks ago, she was talking about how the Miocene, which is that um, about 15 million years ago time period, um, the Miocene died and came back to kill the Pleistocene. Wow. Yeah. So the, I liked that her way of putting that because, yeah. um, because you know, the Miocene, um, that's about 15 million years ago. Sure, s- there was um, life on land back then, like the dogs. 
but then there was also um, the ocean coming in sometimes and regret or and coming out mm-hmm. sometimes over long periods of time. Like uh, for some periods of time, Bakersfield, you know, was oceanfront property, right? Yeah. And so, um, is it similar to <clears throat> you know the natural state of Earth is maybe not necessarily to have ice caps, you mm-hmm. know, and then suddenly you have these eras where it does and mm-hmm. then it recedes yeah so it and when mm-hmm. when you look at it on that timeline mm-hmm. of oh in this brief period of one million years yes the sea went to bakersfield and came yep. back mm-hmm. yeah something like that yeah okay yeah, exactly and so um so all of that ocean action and you know and things dying and being buried and um all of that produced you know the asphalt that we see now um, seeping up at the La Brea Tar Pits and also elsewhere in California. Like, yeah, we are sitting on top of this, you know, big oil field, basically. And it and, is, but mm-hmm. but the the ebb and flow of the tide doesn't necessarily, yeah. to me, fossil fuels are so weird. Right. The, I yeah. mean, it's really just the bones compress. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Wow. Exactly. So yeah. we're really lucky that we find some that are still in bone state. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Because they're under a lot of pressure. Yes. I mean, it takes jackhammers and stuff to get yeah. down there. So yeah. the other ones at some uh-huh. point just go like, I can't take it. <laughs> and just turn into oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's some sort, it's some combination of pressure and also chemicals. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So um, so this one um, paleontologist at the Tarpits likes to think of it as, you know, the Miocene, which are these um, organisms Organisms from about 15 million years ago, uh, they died and came back as asphalt that then trapped these animals in the Pleistocene, which um, uh, in our, here in LA, um, a lot of our Pleistocene deposits are um, about 55 to 11,000 years ago. So saber-toothed cats, dire wolves, short-faced bears, and mammoths, Colombian mammoths, and American mastodons, and you know, uh, yesterday's camels, etc. So when we think of them all in these pits, kind of, yeah, piled together, mm-hmm. it's because it's look. It looks like this sludge, mm-hmm. but in reality, that's millions of years. Or, or no, you said uh, fifty thousand. Yeah, 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 thousands, thousands of, of years. Okay. Yeah, the sludge itself um, has been developed after millions of years, mm-hmm. but the bones preserved in the sludge um, are thousands of years. Right. Okay. And so this period, yeah. you said like around fifty-five thousand years. Yeah, fifty-five thousand to about eleven thousand years ago. That's the period that. Um, our asphalt seeps here in LA um, at the La Brea Tar Pits have been preserving mm-hmm. fossils for. Yeah, no, yeah. it's really cool. And people, when they come to town, mm-hmm. largely, or I guess often, not familiar that that even exists, mm-hmm. like in the heart of the city. Like, mm-hmm. And it's not like you can go and look in there and see a bone sticking up out of it. Right. But you can see stuff that they have pulled out in the last mm-hmm. month or so. Yeah, yeah. And um, you were speaking of like the artists that create stuff. Our friend George Buruji, huh. who I know I met briefly in New York, who uh-huh. was a fan of Professor Blastoff, draws all that. Cool. So he, yeah, all those big things you see of like the, awesome. the saber tooth. Yeah. Uh, that's George. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, he's a really, really good artist. Good guy awesome. to follow on Instagram. Okay. Really, really talented guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll have to get his, um, his Instagram handle handle from you sure I'll, i'm happy to pass it along he's cool. really good when you and i this has come up a couple times when we've been discussing it i'm like ah, i don't think anyone likes to talk about this <laughs> but we did an episode of uh the old podcast years ago and one mm. this the guest was a, um, an expert on evolution and one of the things mm-hmm. he didn't want to talk about was something called yeah. clovis man oh clovis man. are you familiar with that at all um i've heard of clovis man but i would i tend to shy away from anthropology oh, okay yeah i'm more of um 
Yeah, mainly because I don't know enough about anthropology, I think, to say anything substantial. Well, maybe yeah. one thing, because this comes up all the time, mm, and mm. I think anyone has an opinion just, oh, I watched a documentary mm. once, which okay, is yeah, yeah. around that period, yeah. uh, say like 12,000 years ago, mm-hmm. um, Clovis Man was theoretically using tools mm-hmm. and walking upright mm-hmm. hunting yeah. and and presumably the cause of all the mammoths going extinct. That's the common thought. We mm-hmm. ex- we eradicated them by overhunting them, which has mm-hmm. always seemed weird to me that these yeah. like primitive people with sticks mm-hmm. could just annihilate right. giant uh, mm-hmm. creatures like that. So right. I saw this documentary that had to do more with like a meteor hitting a sheet of ice like mm-hmm. in the north, like Canada, yeah. and all that ice washing down. Uh-huh. So the I guess the question would be, that period where the, they all kind of went away, all, everything in the short faced bear, the mm-hmm. saber tooth, it's mm-hmm. all around 11,000 years yes. ago. Yeah. Are all, there like, I'm mm-hmm. oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at the moment, what we know is that it's all around then. Mm-hmm. But what's exciting um, is that uh, there's work um, happening now or um, work that has recently been funded that aims to look more closely at that because, you know, it's not like, um, it's not like a, it's not like everything went extinct right at 11,000, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we see extinctions happening today and they don't, it's not like we see like a bunch of species just disappearing in the same year from a single location. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're talking about North America. And so it's likely that, um, which is an entire continent. And so it's likely that these extinctions happened not all at the same time, and also not all from the same cause. Okay. Yeah. So the theory in this, in this, and I'm another one of those jerks at the bar, like, oh, I saw this documentary. <laughs> but they, it was so compelling because they were like, yeah, Clovis Man just kind of disappeared and all those animals mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And, and they replicated this experiment, which I thought was so fascinating. Mm-hmm. They went to Arizona. They found uh, a layer of strata from around that time, 11,000 years, and they mm-hmm. started exam, and they found... A material that was uh, ironite or something like that was not a natural earth occurring mm-hmm. mineral or uh, that th- this had to have occurred uh, from celestial object a meteorite otherwise yeah. and then they went and drilled core samples in ice and like the mm-hmm. uh, you know the north yeah. and they found the same thing from huh. the same time frame so mm-hmm. they did this experiment where they shot a marble at a sheet of ice Whoa. and it, it didn't leave a crater because the uh-huh. ice sort of absorbed it but it created these giant wall like waves that washed over everything wow. and that huh. was one theory that I thought was really fascinating yeah so I was curious if you knew anything of that. Um, not the marble creating waves. No, <laughs> that sounds really cool. It was neat. Yeah, they yeah. like uh, had this tube like ten feet long, and they just shot wow. it. So they knew the trajectory, and they yeah. can maintain that. And then uh-huh. they did it with like super uh, high speed cameras. So yeah. You could watch it all take place. Wow. And and to me, it was like okay, now I'm sold. Now <laughs> now I feel like I know like how this whole period just yeah because it is so odd that like all mm-hmm. of them kind of yeah. just in a moment we're no longer around yeah for sure so um now we're getting um like here at the tarpits for example we're getting more accurate radio or more precise rather more precise radiocarbon dates Mm -hmm. um and this is a development um you know as of the uh, as of the past five years this is really recent so um one problem that we have with the tar pits is um, the asphalt the tar just gets into everything and so and it basically pickles the bone uh, which distorts the radiocarbon 
oh, or yeah. which historically has distorted the radiocarbon dates. But um, in which way? Like you would look at it mm-hmm. and be like, this says it's two weeks old. <laughs> <laughs> there are some things that are, you know, that have been dated to as young as 200 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, it's more like, oh, this is a nine or 10, 11,000 plus minus what are, you know, 2000 years <laughs> so you know the those those confidence intervals were just wide that's an unacceptable standard deviation <laughs> i would guess right right and so um yeah so these days um they're they've been able to narrow that down mm-hmm. more which is great and um yeah i think there's just been more of a um there's been there's been more recognition now of um you know, okay, yeah, these things like we need to radiocarbon date more things and just get more precise um, estimates of when these extinctions happened, when the last, um, you know, like, and some of this work has been done in South America and is gone ongoing in South America, just looking at the extinctions in South America. Um, they're finding that, you know, there are different timings of, there were different timings of extinctions. Um, in South America, so and also different reasons, mm-hmm. um, possible reasons. So they look at they've looked at um, like the fire regime in South America and vegetation changes, and um, and then they look at the first appearances and last appearances of um, of things like mammoths and um, and uh, and large mammalian carnivores as well. And and yeah, there's just different things happening. And so, yeah, it's been interesting seeing that work being done down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we are starting to do something similar for North America as well. And does that, I think the overwhelming thought that I have is like, it's just like taking a cup and dipping it in the ocean and then trying to get a sense of all mm-hmm. of it. Because mm-hmm. I think when you're taught in school, even like, okay, yeah. evolution kind of makes sense. It was this yeah. to this to this. Uh-huh. But when you start looking at how broad it is, right. the planet over. Yeah, how broad. And exactly. That- yeah, and just this recognition that North America is a continent. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, it's not, yeah, things are not going to all. Well, do you guys go back to Pangea? I mean, do you start thinking of like, okay, this is the Pleistocene, and then in this area, mm-hmm. this broke apart, and then... Yeah, um, we don't, like, mammal paleontologists, in my experience, tend not to think about Pangaea. We do, okay, th- we do think about the Great American Biotic Interchange, um, abbreviated to Gabby, um, <laughs> and that's the interchange, um, that's like immigration between North America and South America, when, you know, that connection came together. Um, mm-hmm. But apart from that, um, yeah, we don't really, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I think that North American people tend to think about, you know, mainly just North America. Yeah. Um, yeah, as of the past, um, it, well, people who work in North America in the Pleistocene and after. Yeah, so there are several, you know, hypotheses for for the extinction of these large mammals, right? So there's the, and I saw um, a talk recently that abbreviated these really well. There's the overkill hypothesis, the overill hypothesis, yeah, the overchill 
hypothesis. <laughs> Over ill, um. by the way, I think with Neanderthals, <laughs> yeah. loosely had to deal with like syphilis. Oh. Is that one of them? One of the ills that like um, they... I don't think it was specifically syphilis, though. <laughs> I've heard that one floated out there. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I've been in a bar or two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of Neanderthals, maybe, but um, in terms of, you know, large mammals like n- large non-neanderthal mammals um way too chill <laughs> yeah way too chill um yeah i i don't know what disease in particular it could be mm-hmm. um so yeah there's overkill and there's um yeah, over chill i'm trying to think of the other over ill over ill things um but yeah so the over skilled they got too hard on themselves because they were such yeah. artists i know they probably had an existential crisis <laughs> and just like <laughs> too much time on their hands man <laughs> i just um, i killed so many gazelles so and many. this one i blew it yeah. i barely i can't even yeah. kill another one because i'm so embarrassed yeah. they just out and they go for what <laughs> for what wouldn't that be great if that is just kind of like the great you killed another one yeah, and then right? what we just keep doing this well i've wondered that um at the la brea tarpits there's a sculpture of a short-faced bear like gazing off in the distance just you know looking very thoughtful or mm-hmm. wistful or wishful and you know it might be thinking about it. maybe that might be existential crisis bear <laughs> as i get older <laughs> Because I, th- I, I remember this saying I heard, like, if you're a young conservative, you have no heart. And if you're an old hippie, you have no brain. <laughs> but as I get older, I have older, hippier thoughts of, like, I think if you were introduced to the world in mm-hmm. any capacity, if you're a mm-hmm. baby, you're freaking out, you're crying, the natural state of, like, no, this again, you'd have all these <laughs> existential, like, oh, my God, I can't go through this again. <laughs> but if you were, say, you come out and then you feel, like, the sensation of grass you see trees, you know you're in a forest, you hear the crunch of leaves, and you're yeah. like, okay, I think I'm a deer. Oh, God. I can barely walk, and you're trying to get it together. Like, And then you just do your best, and like yeah. days go by, and you're like, I keep living. This yeah. is fantastic. My mom's taking care of me. I yeah. got all this milk I can drink. Yeah. I'm starting to learn how to eat the grass. Yeah. And then one day, you just feel your neck getting shaken about, and you go, ah, I gave it a run. Oh. But that's it. And you you played the game. Like yeah. you didn't just stand there as a deer and like, I'm going to march into the river and drown. Mm-hmm. I hate this. Mm-hmm. You would just mm-hmm. accept your consciousness being mm-hmm. in a different vessel. Mm-hmm. So maybe that bear makes sense that yeah. like looking off and like, am I just going to keep being a bear? Yeah. Well, why not? Yeah. Like it's, you know, made peace with itself as a bear, specifically a short faced bear. <laughs> I got the short face. Yeah, the short face. <laughs> what are you going to do about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder if people study bears enough. Do they ever see them like going down to take a drink in the river and just catching a glimpse of themselves and just oh, staring at it for a bit? Does that happen? Like Narcissus bear. Yeah. Um, I should ask my, you know, bear biologist friends. <laughs> that would be pretty interesting. It's, but that is, that's a... To a largely an absurd hypothesis. <laughs> Not that they'd be a narcissist, but that like, oh, the too chill or the too the mm-hmm. existential thing. Get oh, yeah, rid yeah. of that. It's too absurd. It's too absurd. <laughs> oh, but is yeah, anything yeah. at this point, the, is anything too absurd? Like, why wouldn't that hold some water that like, mm-hmm. maybe you have a, a tribe or a herd or a pack uh-huh. or a pri- whatever, and they just go, yeah. ah, I'm done with this. Yeah. I just think it's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, there are some things that I think science can test more easily than others. <laughs> <laughs> Did <laughs> they so, lose the will to live? Let's run some yeah, tests on that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that is possible. But in terms of like what we can have evidence for, yeah, <laughs> I don't know that we can. Um, I don't know that we can find evidence for that. For, you know, right yeah yeah the ultimate mystery right yeah so it's more like the absence of evidence but it's not necessarily evidence of absence right yeah i go i mean on and on with that i people used to message me and be like that's mm. a logical fallacy to mm. assume the absence of one means this and i would say but mm. sometimes mm-hmm. that absence can mean something mm-hmm. it can present itself sort of as data Mm-hmm. Maybe not in this case. Like <laughs> they all went away. We have no explanation. They must have lost a little live. That that does seem crazy. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. So going back to the um, the you know the currently most supported hypotheses for the extinction of the large mammals. Yeah. So it's likely a combination of climate change and human hunting. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and so. Um, that's the current one, or yeah, this that's is... that's the that's the current one with the most support, uh-huh. um, a combination of those, and um, and you know, human hunting in conjunction though with um, that ecosystem already having a lot of predators. Yeah, and oh, that, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we think of overhunting. We think the guys with the sticks or humans like throwing rocks, but it was also yeah. saber tooths yes. and short faced bears. Exactly. And, oh, okay. So so maybe humans with sticks alone wouldn't have been enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but if humans were, you know, the new predator on the scene. And the scene is already a stressed ecosystem with a lot of predators. Yeah. And so, like, you, it was already a system. It, it could have been a system already near its tipping point. And then humans, when they came on the scene, you know, they could have just been able to push that system over the tipping point. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. where Clovis Man comes in. The key to it all. <laughs> the key to it all. <laughs> if I know all. Clovis Man, they wouldn't have pushed it over the edge. <laughs> Clovis man is nicer than that. And realistically, Clovis person. That's just so Oh, sexist. that's such a good point. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Clovis person. <laughs> <laughs> well, going to dogs specifically, because yeah. I think we've kind of touched it. Like, uh-huh. if you could take one lineage, and, and it's not even canine. It probably goes yeah. back to a different uh, name. Oh, yes, but a different sort of dog. If you can just trace that, and I think of them as just these little veins within the mm-hmm. rock wall, just mm-hmm. this tiny little, like, okay, there go the yeah. dogs. Yeah. When did they crawl out? Where did they come from? What were they birthed from? Yeah. So about 40 million years ago, they um, arose here in North America. The earliest fossils are in the Great Plains. So so um, we can say North America, home of dogs. Mm-hmm. Actually, I should have. I typically introduce that as a quiz question. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, people are like, oh, um, oh, so you study dogs. And I'm like, yeah, where do you think dogs are from? And then, you know, like which continent you have seven options. And then people typically say Africa or Asia. Yeah. Which makes sense because, you know, I think that we're just conditioned to thinking of um, like Africa being the hotbed, uh, a hotbed of diversity. Birth of everything. Yeah, birth of everything. And, you know, certainly that's true in the modern day. Africa is pretty diverse in the Mm. modern day compared to compared to North America in terms of large mammals. But, you know, we had our heyday in North America um, about, um, 
Yeah, so Amer- uh, dogs, uh, the family Canidae, uh, started here about 40 million years ago. And then, yeah, they peaked. So they started as um, small, like raccoon-like and smaller mammals. And then they, yeah, so about 29 million years ago was the peak of their um, of their number of species here. Mm-hmm. So 29 million years ago, they had about, um, there were about 25 different species. That was the peak? That was the peak, yeah. We have like a thousand species now. Um, breeds, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. Uh-huh, okay. yeah. So we have many breeds of domestic dog now, but these were... That was were... so dumb of me. We have, <laughs> no, one, we have one species. Well, we have wolves. Yeah, we have wolves. And, okay. and yeah, just to clarify, by dog, um, I think I... I and paleontologists use the word dog um, more generally than people who study domestic dogs and modern dogs because um, domestic dog people, you know, they're very much like, oh, dogs are domestic dogs and everything else like wolves are dog ancestors or dog relatives. So dogs were first. You don't Uh, see that on a uh bumper sticker all that often. (laughs) Yeah. So um, so we paleontologists, we refer to... um, to dogs as not just domestic dogs, but everything in the family Canidae. Okay. And so that includes, you know, domestic dogs and also wolves and coyotes, but also their um, their relatives that are now extinct but are still in the family Canidae. Mm-hmm. And so in the fossil record, um, we have two spe- or two subfamilies of fossil dogs. The first, and they both have long names with not. <laughs> so the first is Hesperocyonidae. Yeah, I knew it would be. <laughs> and those are the ancestral dogs. They're the first radiation of dogs. And the second one is Borophaginae, and they are also known as the bone-cracking dogs. Yes. Yeah. Borophaginae. Borophaginae. We crack bones. Yes. I'm picturing them all wearing like cool leather vests. Right? They're yeah. so metal. <laughs> yeah, not all of them were so metal. I mean, okay. No, all of them were so metal, but there were also small ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and the small ones looked, you know, also raccoon-like, and they couldn't crack bone. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't crack bone, but then later on, they gave rise to the dogs that cracked bone. So they're legit. What was their bone. skill, do you know? I mean, how yeah. there's these bone crackers that are running mm-hmm. things, and they're yeah. throwing everyone out of the biker bars. Yeah. And then our non-bone crackers yeah, are just hanging out. What are they yeah. eating? The scraps? What are they doing? Yeah, the non-bone crackers, they were just... Um, yeah, they were probably eating the scraps. They were more omnivorous. So they had, you know, in that sense, they probably you know, were more successful than the bone crackers because the non-bone crackers, like, they could eat stuff other than bone. And so if if the thing that, if their favorite thing wasn't there to eat anymore, like where they lived, they could just eat something else, yeah. right? Whereas bone crackers, it's like, okay, well, I ate all the things with bones in I got no more bones area. to crack. No more- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, like, what you do now, buddy? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. So, okay, the, there there are the two, there are three radiations of dogs, three subfamilies. The first two has... Wait, can I interrupt you for a second? Yes, When you say course. radiations, yeah. what, what does that mean? Oh, yeah, so radiations, they're like uh, branches of the family tree. Okay, so dogs. but when we talk about, like, genus kingdom phylum yeah radiation is in that um yeah radiation is um 
an, an informal one. So so even a genus can be a radiation. Okay. But in this case, um, I'm specifically referring to the two to the subfamilies. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But radiation, um, I call them radiations because it's like, you know, the each subfamily is like just a bunch of species that come onto the scene. Is that a clever way to be like, just throw all that in there for now? <laughs> Will it get worked out at some point later? Or are you just oh, kind of... Oh, yeah. So the nice, the really wonderful thing about fossil dogs is that um, it has been worked out, all of it for the most part. Really? Yeah, yeah. By someone here in LA, actually. Um, Xiaoming Wang, who is at, a curator of <sighs> fossil mammals at the Natural History Museum of LA. Must be the most patient person alive. Xiaoming is pretty patient, <laughs> just from personal experience. Yeah, and he's also, yeah, I'm just always still so, yeah, Xiaoming is amazing. And, you know, full disclosure, he is one of my mentors as well. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, yes, yes. It's okay so, to um, give him some props. It oh, sounds yeah, like yeah. he's definitely earned them. Oh, yes, he's definitely earned Xiao them. Xiaoming, Yeah, yeah. I'm I've, fascinated by, mm-hmm. when I think of just being, and I think of the actual, like, digging, the mm-hmm. being out there and with a little and then a brush and then like I'm going to extract it Mm -hmm. and now you've extracted one tenth of one bone that is part of 180 or so that make up this fossil (laughs) and you go well tomorrow we'll get the next Mm -hmm. one tenth Mm -hmm. and then over several years you finally get the whole thing and then you go you just put a little index card Mm -hmm. somewhere and go that's this one (laughs) that he has Mm -hmm. categorized that seems yeah. just so in- monumental. Yeah, yeah. So um, so a lot of the work, so typically what happens is that, you know, maybe, um, sh- sure, there are some fossils that come out clean and easily in mm-hmm. the field. Um, but sometimes what happens is that, especially if you have a really rich bone bed or maybe you have a, a, a skeleton that's really nice and almost... Um, almost complete, almost all there, articulated, etc. So in cases where there's more than one bone, sometimes um, uh, the or or in the case of large fossils, sometimes what happens is that deposit just gets jacketed and then brought to the lab to get prepared. How do they jacket it? Oh yeah, so they um, it involves plaster and sometimes newspaper. Although I just learned that you're not supposed to use newspaper, um, but maybe toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just wrap it and make sure that it's secure. And you just pick the whole thing up. Yeah, and pick like, the we'll whole thing you up. In the lab. Yep, yep. Yeah, pick the whole thing up, uh, encased in plaster, and then you open the plaster in the lab, and you know, Sweet. it's like yeah. And do you so, ever, sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt again, but oh, like, okay. do, do you ever find um, a deposit? Mm-hmm. That seemingly is so rich, like right on the surface, it looks like just a dog laying prone. Oh, man. Got it. And then you find out like, oh, no, there are like uh, 20 specimens in here and all the bones are yeah. intermixed and they could be potentially different species. And like, how do we guess and put them together? Do you have to just throw it out and be like, there's no way we can know. <laughs> They're all mixed together. Would it ever get like that? I think that it would sometimes get like that, but I mean that's that's what we get at the La Brea Tarpits. So we just get, it, uh, yeah. yeah, just a lot of jumbled bones, and um, you know I'm always I'm so impressed by the excavators there because um, 
you know, they're paleontologists who've been doing this for years. Just um, have you been, uh, have you seen the Project yeah. 23? I don't know if I've seen, pro- I mean, I, I know when you go in and you look down, yeah. it feels like you're looking into um, a mine, old timey mm-hmm, mine mm-hmm, that is filled mm-hmm. with tar. Yeah. And then you picture, it's like looking into a coffee can that's just full of sludge oh, yes. and thinking there are people about the size of a nickel mm-hmm. that are in there somehow <laughs> sifting through it where like it doesn't make sense when you see it like it feels like it's always gurgling up yep yep it and is it's just almost it like is. handing you bones like there's a bone yep. yeah so um yeah so pit 91 that's the deposit that's right now um you know a hole in the ground and um and people are in there like um you know half um half of the week and um yeah so there is asphalt still burbling up I wish it burbled up bones, but <laughs> it just burbles up around the bones. But um, but yeah, so so that's pit ninety one, and then project twenty three is the um, um, the above ground excavation that actually we're having. So project twenty three came from LACMA because in two thousand six or so, um, LACMA had was building their parking structure that's underground, and they of course in that yeah. area they ran into a mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> and they Good ran for into- them for like being delicate enough with oh, probably yeah. like an excavator to be like whoa 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 hold on oh up. yes that's yeah, a yeah, mammoth yeah, yeah. Um, so supposedly or California has very good rules and laws and regulations about that about mitigation and mm-hmm. preservation of our heritage yeah so they ran into a mammoth and ran into a bunch of other things but of course they wanted to build their parking structure and so um they called in the tarpits and you know the tarpits hauled out these 23 deposits um that they um you know carted over to tar- the tarpits area of that of Hancock Park and um now those 23 deposits are sitting there um and they're being excavated quote unquote quote unquote because it's an above ground excavation oh i see yeah. Well, this would have been one where they were wrapped. They didn't wrap them in tissue paper, did oh, they? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> they were too big. Too big to be wrapped in tissue paper. So um, someone, one of the staff members knew, had a friend with us. <laughs> we're going to need a lot of shaman. <laughs> someone go to Costco. Yep, exactly. Oh, my goodness. What a pain. Uh, but no, someone knew someone with a tree boxing company. And so that person came in and like with a bunch of planks and a bunch of wood and just boxed like wow yeah and so that's how project 23 came to be cool um, yeah and so i'm mentioning all of this now because i think of uh your question about you know oh do you find like an a a skeleton that's you know all nice and put together but then there's other bones with it and um, it's a pretty good impression of me And so, um, yeah, that's what your question made me think of because Project 23 is like that. It's um, And Project 23 and Pit 91 and the rest of the La Brea Tar Pits, it's just such an exceptional area and it's so unlike any other excavation I've seen in person or most other excavations I've heard of um, because it's just so abundant. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to feel like a little bit of, not a gift necessarily, but like, okay, Uh good. Finally, it's like a video game level. Like this one's a breeze. (laughs) Finally, we can just think of, 
Everything we find, like that mammoth was potentially someone's mother or father, certainly someone's child. And when they passed away, maybe the parent was there to go like, Mm. I can't believe you fell in this pit. I always warned you, don't go near the tar. And they're like wrapping trunks with each other and trying to pull out and they can. And it's so sad. So sad. And we show up. And to our credit, we don't like take the jaw and you know, go, look at me, I'm a mammoth. (laughs) (laughs) But when we unearth human remains, we kind of do that. We open the jaw and go, they would have talked like this. But that's also someone's, Mm. it meant someone, Mm. meant something to someone at some point along the journey. Mm. And so does it give you a sense of how meaningless everything is? Like they could find yours or Mm. my fossils in the future and clank around our jaws and go, hello, I'm a human (laughs) from this era. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that since, you know, starting on the path down, uh, the starting on the paleontological path, I think it's definitely given me some perspective and some zen, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> some perspective on life. Just like, okay, it's fine. Like, a thousand years from now, this isn't going to really matter. <laughs> so you have that same face as that short-faced bear. Yeah, exactly. Just like looking off in the distance, being like, Okay, everything's fine. Things may be on fire right now, but everything's fine. <laughs> Does it, I have this thought sometimes, yeah. like even though they were digging teeth into each other's necks and being oh, jerks, yeah. mm-hmm. it was still kind of civ- civil in mm-hmm. some way. And mm-hmm. us now with the islands of trash and all the plastic mm-hmm. and, and just an oh, utter yeah. disregard for water mm-hmm. sources and ecosystems yeah. for other animals, yeah. it feels a little less civil. It feels like, oh, yeah. oh. but it mm-hmm. sounds like you look at it and go like, it's all part of it. Like, this is just part of until we're robots. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I think it's, I think I would, I think it's more nuanced than that. I, I don't think it's part of it necessarily, mm-hmm. but I do think that the earth is going to be okay Yeah, because the earth has bounced back from, you know, five previous mass extinctions. And so right now, um, it looks like we are in the sixth mass extinction, or if not, we're in, if we're not in it already, then we're about to be in it. And you're referring to climate change? Um, referring to climate change and also just this, um, extinctions happening these days. Okay. Yeah. So the big animals mm-hmm. that are going away, I think yeah. we're down to one black rhino potentially now mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're mm-hmm. ticking off the list and a lot yeah. of people, I think us included in our mm-hmm. lives, are going to be like, I remember that. I remember that. Yes. I, and yeah. just going like, they are no yeah. longer on the planet. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. anyway, what's mm-hmm. on TV? And just keep <laughs> right. moving. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the the megafaunal extinction, the extinction of the large mammals that, that we've been talking about um, for a lot of this this episode, um, yeah, that also um, is considered by um, some biologists to be part of this sixth mass extinction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so the I think that the Earth will be fine, but I do think that we should still be concerned for ourselves, right? Like, what but isn't that all we are? We're exclusively we we mm-hmm. frame it in that we're concerned about other things, but in reality, because right. we know, yeah, the Earth isn't going to just blow up. The Earth will probably, even if it's just reduced to just being a rock, it's mm-hmm. probably fine with that. It has been mm-hmm. that before. Mm-hmm. So we pretend that, like, yeah. Mother Earth has this clean water yeah, and all these ecosystems. Like save the whales, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. but we're really like, <laughs> we need those whales to eat at some point. Yep. If it comes to that, we'll eat them. Save us. 
Yep, exactly. Save us. <laughs> yeah, like save the gray wolf. Well, <laughs> you know, we need saving actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only us. Yeah. That's what's so. I if it, I may feel kind of cynical thinking that way, but it mm. it does just feel like the Earth could be a rock again. Oh yeah. It could yeah. have no. Oh, yeah. Even mm-hmm. if it lost the ozone layer, mm-hmm. all greenhouse gases, everything going nuts. Like yeah. the Earth is like, I'll manage. Right. I've yeah. done it. My yeah. oceans have been a different color before. Right, exactly. Like there was a time when you know there were only bacteria on Earth, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. There's some moments when it's like you know, like what matters? <laughs> Just existential stuff. But it's fun though to I would guess for you like to have. I want to see where these dogs go. Oh I want yeah, to see where they came from. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely still fun for me to be like. Um, you know, just think like, okay, let me get into my time capsule now. Let me um, examine these fossils and what did America look like yeah. 29 million years ago? You know, like um, one of my favorite. So during my master's, I had a I had a defense where my committee asked me some tough questions. And one of my committee members, who's a, an expert on uh, mammoths and mastodons, he asked me, "Okay, so um, say you were, say you were a bison stuck in an asphalt seep. Because for my master's, I looked at, um, uh, I looked at how the large mammals, large carnivores at La Brea, could have divided their dietary resources. So you know, were saber-toothed cats eating the same prey animals as the dire wolf or as the bobcat, for example? Mm-hmm. And so." Um, yeah, so just to get me into the mindset, one of my committee members was like, so if you were in a time capsule and it opened, and it opened to the Pleistocene about 11,000 years ago, what would you see? Ooh. Yeah, and I just love that. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a tough question, actually, but <laughs> but it sure got me into the mindset of thinking of these fossils as time capsules. And, you know, about 11,000 to 55,000 years ago, what we would see probably is a bison stuck in an asphalt seat, kicking up grit and, you know, struggling to break free mm-hmm. and making noise. And the noise and the fuss and everything probably attracts, um, you know, dire wolves and saber-toothed cats because that's how the tarpits worked. Um, that's our best hypothesis for how the tarpits worked as a carnivore trap. Whoa. Yeah, and because we have so many carnivores preserved at the tarpits, it's basically inverted from what we observe today. So um, you think that all these carnivores saw the bison and were like, I think I can get it. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Idiots. I know. <laughs> That'll probably yeah. be... One, I don't think time machines will work, and I can explain <laughs> why. I think they probably do work, but mm-hmm. they go to a place in time, and we think they just are specific to Earth, which mm-hmm. is absurd. The Earth was in a very different spot, and we don't mm-hmm. know where our, even our galaxy was in relation right. to the universe. Yeah. So people probably go to 1942, yeah. but they're a light year away, and they yeah. step out of the time machine. They're just in infinite space. They go, oh, oh shit, and they just, in 30 seconds, like yeah. asphyxiate and go, damn it oh my gosh so at some point we'll be traveling through space and we'll see all these old timey scientists all bloated and just kind of floating along oh my gosh i but if we manage it if we figure out time machines i would Mm -hmm. guess you'll open your hatch at the pleistocene see that bison and then you'll see like five other people in their time machines and you all look at each other like 
this is sad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And you watch it and take it in and go off yep. to a different place. Mm-hmm. And that'd be kind of fun. That'd mm-hmm. be worth living for. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though it's a sad, this still really yeah. bizarre and, and unique entertainment. Right. Yeah. It's not going to be like, you know, oh, go back to the Pleistocene and save the bison. You know? <laughs> right. This is not like trying to prevent JFK being shot or anything. No. Yeah. No. Just watching it. Because like the, the, the filmmakers for like Planet Earth, they have to sign yeah. the thing saying like, I won't interfere. I'm going to oh. let life on Earth happen. Yeah. Okay. And that's pretty brutal. They have to that watch the seals brutal. get attacked by the sharks yeah. and stuff. and. You have to watch that bison get plowed into by another bison. Yeah, over and over. Yeah. But I'd be there with you, like... And it'd be funny to watch the predators, like, crawl toward it. Like, I think I can just bite his ear off. Right, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I'm just like, man, this is so frustrating. Because paleontology is awesome in that, you know, you... There's so many hypotheses. So I know that it drives some people insane because you can't just conduct an experiment. So so in science, typically, you know, the experiment is like the holy grail of how to test a hypothesis because you can control everything. You can control all confounding factors and avoid them and make sure that you're testing only one uh, independent variable and its effect on your dependent variable. But in the fossil record, you know, we can't just observe our animals, right? And so we have to um, depend on a lot of other um, pieces of evidence and weave all that together. So I think that it's challenging. um, Mm -hmm. But part of that challenge is part of why I love um, doing what I do. Yeah, Um, it's so cool. Yeah, like you just have to be, you know, clever and like about piecing these, uh, these pieces of evidence together. And, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure where I was going with it, but <laughs> I was just like, oh. <laughs> I'm, I think when you're talking about piecing things together mm-hmm. and, like, starting to build this puzzle, does puzzle. it seem solvable? Like, do you, I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but, like, mm-hmm. do you have thoughts on God? Mm. Oh, yeah, I have thoughts on God. So I was raised... So I almost failed religion class. <laughs> that would be just my introduction to that. I was raised Methodist, but mm-hmm. um, the Philippines is a Catholic country. So oh, I know from Manny Pacquiao, he says some oh, terrible yes. things sometimes. Oh, yes, I know. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I just have to apologize for Manny Pacquiao. But um, yes, the Philippines is a Catholic country, and I was raised Methodist, but then my mom. Yeah, an early influence of mine was also my mom. She was religious and a biology teacher. And so, yeah, she was my first, you know, unofficial biology teacher. And she, so my mom, uh, there was free tuition at the school where she taught uh, tuition for, you know, uh, children of teachers. Cool. Yeah. But then the school where she taught was a Catholic school run by nuns. And so, you know, here's this Methodist kid attending Catholic school. And I almost failed religion class because I wasn't bringing in the right, the correct pamphlet from my mass. <laughs> <laughs> because I, you know, I was supposed to bring in a missile, but I was bringing in the program because my Methodist church didn't have missile. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, like, my mom and the teacher, you know, had this parent-teacher conference and people were like, well, does she, does your child know how to pray? If she knows how to pray, then she should at least pass. So... Anyway, long story short, um, I think that a belief in God is separate from science. 
And I think, yeah, and I think that a belief in God is, you know, like there are, there's a plenty of scientists who believe in God and still do good science. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that key to that is, you know, what can science test? And again, you know, evidence of absence is not, or evidence, or oof, I bl- uh, blended words right there. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. You said yeah. that a couple times, and I think that's just very eloquent and like, you know, there's something to that that, mm-hmm. and I, I would, I think that was maybe a more prevalent thought a few years ago, and maybe it still mm-hmm. exists now. I'm, I'm not out as much as I used to be, like traveling around, but mm-hmm. the thinking that like all scientists were like harsh atheists and they frowned mm-hmm. on any level of, you know, maybe organized religion or, or like mm-hmm. when your views infringe upon you, your ability to be a nice person. Mm-hmm. Certainly, that's frustrating. Yeah, but that is lar- frustrating. most scientists I ask about it either don't care. Mm-hmm. Or they have thoughts that are like, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Or like what you just said, like, mm-hmm. yeah, my thoughts are over here and mm-hmm. I still do good good science. I love science. Mm-hmm. I believe in it. Yeah. I don't see why all those things can't right. swim around in the same pool with each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that they're fundamentally different things. You know, like there's faith and belief and then there is evidence. Yeah. And yeah, I think that they can happily coexist. That's good. I like to hear that. Just that it, like, you said it with a smile on your face. Oh. And, like, it seems to, <laughs> do you go about life with that feeling of, like, yeah. I don't know. I want to know as much as possible. Yeah. I think, and especially in your field, you're mm. never going to know all of it. Yeah, never, never going to know all of it. And if you were tracing the the blueprints of a creator or a mastermind, mm. it would yeah. really be confusing. Right, right. And that's part of, you know, when I get questions about, oh, does the fact of evolution mean that God doesn't exist? Well, how I answer that is, I think it's possible that there's a God who put this machinery of evolution in place. And isn't that a more majestic God who puts this machinery in place and then just lets it run? Isn't that a more majestic God than a God who creates every being in his you know, yeah. in his image. It's like, really narcissistic. Like, you love me. Right. You love me, don't you? Did you pray yeah. enough today? Did you remember me? Did you think of me once at all today? Oh, please love me. Exactly. This is crazy. Yeah, yes. I think yeah. that's what you just described is something that I would, I, I root for that to happen. I right. root for there to be kind of an afterlife where you could yeah. meet that. Even if you just got one question. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh. Right. Oh man, I don't know what whoa, what would I ask? Yeah. But at least to have be presented with that. Mm-hmm. And best case scenario, mm-hmm. time is irrelevant. Sit mm-hmm. down, have a beer and hash yeah. it out like right. what was it like to watch all that? Right. What was it like to feel like you had no power but that yeah. you had either hit enter or started mm-hmm. the machinery? Or I like mm-hmm. to think of it as like fish food going into <laughs> it and then, <laughs> it all takes off. But yeah, that yep, yep. I like that. Mm-hmm. Myrene, this has been fantastic. I really have enjoyed this. Wonderful. Me too. Thank you. And we're both pretty much to the end of our saison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Ohana. Mm-hmm. I feel like perhaps it should have gotten the gold medal. <laughs> at the 2014, what was it at the World Beer Cup? Yeah. Now I wonder what got the gold medal. Yeah. I got to have that yeah. gold one now. Yeah. Well, come back anytime. This is so fun. And thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. If you didn't enjoy that chat, this podcast might not be for you. I really enjoyed chatting with Myrene. Had all the ingredients, all the elements that I like. Okay, let's get on out of here. Thanks for supporting the show and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. The show is brought to you by 
listeners just like you and their wonderful contributions through either donations or buying screen prints, which you can find at thespacecave.com. There are posters and t-shirts, etc. And Patreon, of course. Thanks to those of you who support the show that way. Here is a new song. We've played this band before. I've been anxiously awaiting some new music from them, and they delivered. I think it's fantastic. You may have heard this one already. Perhaps you have not. It's called Partners in Motion from Wild Nothing. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.